We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in here on the Salem Radio Network. You are listening to the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. And no matter where you are listening to us this evening or when, for that matter, you're choosing to listen to us a little bit later on. This is the this is the era of mobile devices and on-demand programming. So, so no matter where you are or when you are, we really want to say thank you for taking some of your time to uh, be a part of our Little corner of the universe here. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Let us know what you think about what we think. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. It is a Friday. That means the Dace Group Roundtable coming up next hour. That means we have Kim here with us in studio as well. I want to begin, though, by pointing out you're being lied to. And you've been, you've been lied to for quite some time. Today's the first Friday of the month. You guys know what that means. The unemployment rate. This is where we get the uh, the Bureau of the Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out, or Bureau of Labor Labor Management, if you prefer, every first Friday of the month, and they give you the latest jobs numbers. And a lot of folks are giddy that the number is four point six percent. 
And now they're even more disappointed on the left that Hillary Clinton could not capitalize on our surging economy. Except that's a lie. Now, I know I went to public school. But 94.7 million adults not working. Which, by the way, if you look that up, have you guys looked up that number? To put that in perspective, 94.7 million Americans not working. We have more people not working in this country than the total population of every nation on earth other than 14. Only 14 nations on earth have more total people than we do people not working. Adults. I'm just talking adults now, not kids. Adults here in the United States. Germany, including major industrialized nations, Germany doesn't have 94 million people. France doesn't have 94 million people. The United Kingdom doesn't have 94 million people. Italy doesn't have 94 million people. Iran, Turkey, these are major nations. And the amount of people we have in America not working exceeds their total populations, folks. 94.7 million adults not working. Out of 243 million adults, give or take a comma or a decimal point or two, I'm sorry, not sorry, but that's not a 4.6% unemployment rate, folks. It's not. It's not even close. Now, some of you, though, because I've already seen this today, because some people on uh, some of our friends on the left chose not to read my next couple of tweets after I explained why I was saying this. They chose to point out, you can't even do basic research when they couldn't do the research enough to scroll down to the next two tweets after this one where I explain this. Because some of you are going to say, listen, Steve, you're including the disabled, the elderly in your numbers. Yes, I am. Somebody on the left said to me, well, they pay taxes on their retirement. Are they getting Social Security? Are they getting Medicare? Are they getting Medicare Part D? Really? Well, then they're a loss leader. If they're not paying into the private sector with a job, then everything about them is a loss leader in a welfare state. The only people who are profit-bearing, carbon-based life forms work in the private sector. Everybody else is a taker. That's just the nature of a welfare state. And if you're, if you're pointing out that, well, I'm including all these people who can't work, presumably, uh, I'm including, uh, your, if I accept your presumption that I'm including these people who can't work into my calculations, you're making my point, actually. When less than 90 million American adults are working in the private sector, stop and think about that. We have fewer than 90 million adults right now working in the private sector, and we have nearly 95 million Americans not even working at all? That's not a sustainable business model, guys. Okay? Because the people that work in the private sector see their jobs are new wealth or unaccounted for wealth. That means they're they're profit-making image bearers. Any public sector job, even ones that are vital, president, police officer, soldier, economically, they're loss leaders. Because wealth had to be taken from the private sector to create the resources for them to be compensated for their work. 
even the taxes they pay into it, all it does is minimize the deficit. But the deficit is still there because they're not paying everything they earn in taxes. So even the, even when they pay, with the, whatever they pay in taxes, if you work in the public sector, whatever you keep minus what you pay is a deficit. Because the wealth for your job did not exist. It had to be taken from those who had it. And who has it? The people in the private sector. So we have only 90 million people. I should not have to explain this, by the way. I should not have to. You should be insulted that I am opening the program tonight laying this out for you. I should be getting emails right now. Hey, no feces, Sherlock. I should be getting that right now. But I know there's a lot of people because of the way our education system is designed to not teach you these basic fundamentals of a free society. You're like, holy crap, I've never heard of it like that before. Well, let's continue. Because I'm explaining to you why you're $18 trillion in debt and escalating. So yes, you could come up with a math formula that could get you to a 4.6% unemployment rate. And I could come up with a formula that could get me to 7% body fat. If I didn't count the waist up. I could come up with a math formula for anything. Doesn't mean it's the right one. This unemployment rate is like if, if I had to submit a P&L to my shareholders, if I own a major company, and I had to submit a P&L to my shareholders saying, hey, look, the company's in the black. But inside the P&L or the profit and loss or liability statement, inside that P&L, it never shows what our actual cash flow deficit is. Doesn't show the pre-existing debt we have, right? Because we had to spend money to get to the point of where we're at right here, right? Because nobody did these jobs for free. So we have pre-existing debt. And then there is the cost of doing business. Everybody, you guys, I'm sure, assume you get a paycheck every other week, right? So got to keep paying those. That, that overhead doesn't just go away. Some of it does, right? If you own your own building, once you make that purchase, that cost goes away. But there's reoccurring cash flow debt. That's not included in the report. My pre-existing debt is not included in the report. And therefore, I have no, I, I can't project what our current trajectory will be from a sustainability and profitability standpoint. But all I did is I took a look at the amount of receipts we have coming in and minus everything else I just pointed out, what we were paying out and said, see, look, we're, we're making a profit. Do you know what they would call that if I submitted that as our corporate earnings statement? Prison. They'd call it prison. That's what they'd call it. That is malfeasance. That'd probably be called five to ten minimum in a federal prison somewhere. This is how we keep the books on unemployment. See, the government's too darn big. It's too darn big. When you have only 90 million people or fewer than 90 million people are actually creating your profit margin. But more than 95 million people or almost 95 million people aren't paying into the system at all. Because they don't have a private sector job or any job for that matter. Any of you that have ever owned a business, 
small or large, how in the world could you sustain that business model? It's not sustainable. That's why we have to keep printing phony money. This is why we're $18 trillion in debt. But as bad as you may think this is, I'm sure a lot of you are hearing this information for the first time. And that is on purpose. You are being inculcated not to question these statistics or this methodology on purpose. The deception's even worse than everything I've just shared with you. Stay tuned for that information here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. The Sleeping Giants Alarm Clock, Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Mike Woody's going to take us to the movies here in about 15 minutes, but I want to continue educating you on how you're being lied to right now, right now, on this unemployment rate. See, a couple of years ago, the Obama regime didn't like the data that it was getting. So it changed the way unemployment was reported. It changed the formula, just changed it. Because if at first you don't succeed... Lower your standards. How many of you, by the way, get to do that? Or you can't make the payment for the house or for your business to the bank this month? So you just walk in through the front door of the bank and say, hey, I can't make this payment this month. I'm just going to change the way you calculate my interest rate. Thank good progressives believe in reason and science, Steve. Indeed. Science! Yes, indeed. Indeed. For example, here's a couple of the changes that they made. If you or a family member or anyone who is unemployed and has basically given up finding a job, if you're so hopelessly out of work, and, and by the way, what does the government say means you're hopelessly out of work that you've given up? You know how long that time period is? Four weeks. That's it. Four weeks. If, have you guys ever had to take longer than four weeks to find a good gig? I have. You can get, I mean, if you're out of a job and you find another one of equal or greater value in four weeks, even when the economy is booming, yeah, Yahtzee. Yeah, that's pretty good. You're thinking you're doing. You know, you're, I mean, you're 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 thanking Jesus for that, right? That's pretty good, even when the economy's booming and it's morning in America, let alone right now. Four weeks. If all you've got to do is say I've given up finding gainful employment in four weeks, and guess what? You are not counted in the figure of how they calculate our unemployment rate. Four weeks. Most jobs will give you at least a, um, most white collar jobs will give you at least a, a one check, two week or, or one month severance, right? You work an hourly job, whatever, they'll, they'll pay you right up to that particular point in time, right? Which you would have gotten paid because you usually get paid in the rear. So when it's your last day, they'll pay you at the, the point in time of right then. So you got paid some of what you would have made the next paycheck too. Four weeks is it. Four weeks. That's it. If you just decide you've given up finding a job after four weeks, you're no longer counted in our unemployment rate. 
Right now, as many as 30 million Americans are either out of work or severely underemployed by this standard. And they're not even counted in how we calculate the unemployment rate. Fact. How many again? 30 million. (laughs) And they're not even calculated. Speaking of small countries. Indeed. Now, here's another reason why this this unemployment rate is misleading. Say you're an out-of-work engineer or a healthcare worker, or a construction worker, retail manager, we're picking several different potential career paths here, right? If you perform, listen to this one now. Listen to this. If you, didn't th- if, you didn't, if you thought what I just shared with you was a scam, listen to this government bookkeeping. This is going to be like right out of a scene of, da- of the movie Dave with Kevin Klein when him and Charles Grodin try to figure out the budget, right? Listen to this. If you perform a minimum of one hour of work in a week and are paid at least $20, Maybe, for example, someone just pays you to mow their lawn so you got money to, you know, get milk for you and the kids. You're not officially counted in our unemployment rate. Very few Americans know this, but that is also a fact. One hour of work a week where you were paid at least $20. Somebody paid you to babysit their kids for an hour while they ran some errands. And if you just work one hour a week and you get paid at least $20 for that hour, you're not counted among the unemployed. I bet it's good for their self-esteem to know that, though, Steve. Don't you think so? Just a big pat on the back? I mean, this is, that's incredible when you stop and think about this. Here's one more. Those working part-time but wanting full-time work, if you have a degree in chemistry or math and, and you're working 10 hours part-time because that's all you can find, you're not counted in the unemployment rate. I mean, you're just performing menial tasks. So you're, you're going to the job service because a lot of states require you to go to the counseling and have follow-throughs, right, in order to get an unemployment check, right? So you're going and, and going through that and, and, and following up on that, looking for something in your vocation. And in the meantime, because... Even really good unemployment, usually about, what, 60% of what your actual salary, is that right, Kim, somewhere around there? I think it's 60 or 70%. Okay, um, so you've you got to figure out that offset, right? So you perform some menial tasks in order to make them some extra money. By virtue of doing that, you're not counted among the unemployed. How many of you that own your own business would love to be able to do your books this way? How many of you, by the way, that just do your own checkbook would love to be able to run your household finances this way? This number, Todd, is a complete and total lie. It's a lie. Well, I, the term I was going to use is you know, economics is, it is a science in theory. Supposed they to are be. using it. This is nothing short of propaganda. Yes. Right. What is the actual rate then? I mean, if you you take into account everything that you said, what are we looking at? Thirty percent. You would have to even if even if you had you you made an accommodation for stay at home moms. We don't have as many of those as we used to have, though. But you made an accommodation for the elderly, the infirmed, stay at home moms. I've said I've I've seen calculations that it's anywhere at that point from twenty to almost thirty percent. Yeah. Even it, even if you account for the elderly, the infirmed, and the stay-at-home parent. And the difference in the terms lie versus propaganda. I mean, lying is, I don't want to be in trouble, so I'm just going to spin it. Propaganda is different. You are proposing an alternate truth. 
You are proposing a fiction that you want people to believe to steer them in a different direction. That is far more, to use your term, nefarious, Steve. Yes. It, this is grotesque. The, you, we are supposed to be the economy. The, the, all boats rise with the tide. You know, this is take, telling a tale that not only is it's doing the inverse. It is knowing full well that people are uh, are are plummeting, and it is willing to not only keep there but exacerbate the problem for an alternate narrative. It's well, appalling, and that explains also why you have so many Trump voters that had this as their reality. And I think that's an, an exactly. explanation well, for it. Abs- they live this. They exactly. Know, there's a lot of people na- that are... Now, no, you know who does know this is... A, you're right, a lot of Trump's base, and they're yelling at me right now saying, this is, see, Dace, this is what we were trying to tell you for the last year and a half. This is why we're so ticked off. If, now, CNBC did a study this summer, and what they found, forget the methodology at question, or, or forget the, the ideological questioning that I raised at the beginning, which is how many people we have not contributing into the system. They just looked at how the old unemployment formula, which factored these three things, I just said that the Obama administration took them out. The way that we, up until Obama, calculated the unemployment rate, when CNBC looked at this, they had it at almost 10%, 9.7%. To put that in perspective, Jimmy Carter... Gave us the economic malaise, right? Went to the White House and said, hey, you know what? Gave us the malaise speech. We, we invented terms like stagnation because of uh, his four years running the country. The average unemployment rate under the old way we did things under Carter was 6.54%. And people thought the freaking country was coming to an end. What do you think they would have thought if the official number all this time being reported was 9.7? Mike Woody will take us to the movies next. You're listening to Steve Dace. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Dace Show. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no I like this. It can go. stay. Pretty much anything you have Dean Martin vocalize, I'm going to okay. All right? I'm, I'm the guy that I can just watch the Dean Martin celebrity roast infomercial and be entertained by that by itself. I'm writing this down. Please do. Yes. Please do. I, I, I don't want to have to replace you, so please take notes. All right, back here on the uh, Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio <laughs> Network. Mike Woody is here to take us to the movies. Michael, hope your Thanksgiving went well. How are you, brother? Uh, I am very well, and Thanksgiving was great. I had my first fried turkey this year. Oh, you did? I did. And you know I didn't make it myself because yeah, Amy, Amy won't allow me to own one. She's convinced I will burn down the place. <laughs> so one of our listeners, probably because he got tired of me lamenting this year after year, uh, who's here locally, agreed to fry us a turkey. Really? And um, I went over Thanksgiving and picked it up, and it was muy bien. Because I know you do the fried turkey thing, right? I do not do the fried turkey. Why did I think you did the I fried I do the turkey? turkey on the grill. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. So, I mean, you're Which is a lot like, safer. You're right, but that's like a, a, a long process to grill it, though, Two right? hours. Oh, that's it? Yeah. It's the easiest thing in the world. Is it good? 
No, it's horrible, Steve. I just do That's it every year because I like well, to. Well, I mean, let's back me up on this. It's not like Mike Woody's never, ever exhibited some questionable taste here in the history of this radio program. Kasich? Can I get a, a thank you, Kim? Can I get Still a Still got the sticker on the car. There you go. Subtitles. <laughs> and, and Mike promises the minute John Kasich knows what the motive was for that Ohio State terrorist attack, Mike will finally take that Kasich sticker off the car. But he's waiting for Kasich to discover what drove this uh, young man out of nowhere to act out this way first, right? Agreed? Oh, sure. Steve. Sure. All right. Yeah. So what are we reviewing this week? Holy cow. Now, what, where do you want to start? We've got Fantastic Beasts. We've got Bad Santa, which won't take long. Allied, Loving, and Rules Don't Apply. Plus a ton of stuff on uh, on demand. Let's see. See, you brought somewhat, it. You're bringing it. Somewhat trainable. You're bringing it. Thank I like that. Consultants are happy with me. Not as dumb as I look. Well, before we start that, <laughs> well, admittedly, that's a low bar. Todd, go Wasn't ahead. it last week that you did review Arrival, but Steve hadn't seen it? Or That's right. That? I have seen Arrival. Hey, you, you, well, that was so two, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. We right, I did get, I did you get said out, it was awesome. I, I did get out to see Arrival. It is phenomenal. I loved it. You did. I thought it was a much better film than Interstellar. For wow. Example. And, I, and you It know, was better than and, Interstellar. And you know I am a Christopher Nolan slappy, okay? But this was a better movie than Interstellar. I'm kind of surprised because it, it's not, it doesn't have a Steve Dace pace. I didn't. I wasn't. Really? I, I didn't think it was. I thought you would be bored. No, I. I actually found this not pretentious, but analytical. Yeah. So absolutely. I mean, which was my other concern with you. Th- this doesn't have to have an explosion a minute. I just don't bore me. Since when? Okay. Since always. It I'm, has I, to have an explosion I, a minute I, or I'm, midgets. I'm analytical by not. It doesn't have to have those things, but it would help if it did. All right. But I'm. I'm. Listen. You know I'm analytical by nature. So if you if you engage me analytically, I'm in. I don't have to. It's not, has to. It doesn't have to have an explosion a minute. I'm glad you like it. It's when it's pretentiously slow, right? That's because and you can always tell when it is analytically slow or pretentiously slow when Mike comes in Here and says I knew this the was movie is and I quote deliberate it's got a when, deliberate pace when mike says it's deliberate <laughs> that means it sucks why well, i hate to that tell you but it's a- pretentiously allied was slow. deliberate is it because yeah. we'll get to allied in a moment because amy wants to hear your review of that uh, no, but but doesn't. pretentiously slow no analytically deliberate yes i i found it very intellectually stimulating i liked it a lot i thought it was one it's enjoyed, wonderful sci-fi enjoyed it quite a bit and it's some of the most fun my wife has had at, at a movie in the 20 years we've been married because she's ecstatic that she figured this thing out before I did. And she had, oh. to, she had to kind of explain it to me on the way home. And then we even got home after we put the kids to bed. And we actually went on YouTube and watched a couple of uh, movies that sort of explain the ending and oh, okay. some of the Easter eggs and stuff in there. And I think even make it even more brilliant again. I'd kind of like to go back and watch it again now that I totally understand it completely. But I really, really enjoyed it. I'd highly recommend it. I'd say it's one of the ten best movies I've seen this year. I hate it when I agree with you. Man, I can't wait to see it. It's really, and the creativity. Agreed. The look of the aliens. Yes. The communication. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. Agreed. Now, when we come back here in a moment, I want to begin with Fantastic Beast. Aaron, you are the Harry Potter slappy here on the show. Have you seen this yet? No, I haven't. No, he doesn't see movies. How could you not have seen this? I saw Hack, saw Red. I have not seen it uh, yet. You don't pay him enough. The aforementioned, I think he has I no life. Well. This has been made clear. <laughs> okay. He has no life. He's reminded you of that multiple times. If somebody would have paid me at 24 and single and I'm paying him, I'd be a very happy man. All right? <laughs> oh, I um, am. Nobody's not. I just don't go see movies very see? often. I, I, I will be fascinated to get, because I've not seen what you've posted on Facebook or anything about this, so I don't know what you're going to say. Yeah, you do. Okay, I'm going to say this, though. 
every member of our family, every last one, couldn't stand it. Every single one of us, all five. Well, maybe all have to agree twice. Five. All five of us hated it. We'll talk about why in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. If you're part of the problem, don't bother getting out of the way. Stay right there, and we'll run over you. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. I love it when a new Christmas song plays, and everybody freezes to see what my reaction to it will be. Is it's, you, guys look, you guys are looking at me the way Dustin Hoffman looked at Lawrence Olivier in the Marathon Man. Is it safe? <laughs> is it safe? I just want to see if Aaron disappears through the hole in the floor that you saw it out. <laughs> Hit I'm the like, button. Hmm. All right. Mike Woody's here taking us to the movies. Let's get to the number one movie in the country right now, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. This is the Harry Potter prequel series. And unlike the, uh, the original Harry Potter series where J.K. Rowling wrote the books and other people adapted the screenplays, these are original screenplays that she is writing, yes. right? And this is and meant to be a five-part prequel series. Yes. And essentially, this is the, the backstory. It's going to end up, my understanding, being the backstory of Albus Dumbledore, right? And, 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 and how he faced down the dark wizard of the Voldemort of his era, correct? Correct. So, so this is the first chapter. Even though it's, a, it's the backstory of Dumbledore, he's not even in the movie. He's referenced one time. A character who talks like this the whole way through in a British accent. So you cannot understand. You literally understand one of every five words Eddie Redmayne says. In fact, I didn't know what the name of his character was until I got home and read about the movie on the Internet. So for those of you that don't know, it's Newt Scamander. That's his name. I didn't know what it was. So he's better okay. at playing a 1920s transgendered person just, than a wizard. With a, but, but, but in a cool British accent. But it's, it's, he mumbles the whole movie. Whole movie. Uh, and he's not even, he may not even be a character in, in the next one, apparently, or in any of them, from what I also have read. All right, so I, I have to just say this. We loved all the Harry Potter movies in our home. One, literally one of the best book, fiction books I have ever read in my life is the final Harry Potter book, The Deathly Hallows. It is a phenomenally written book. Every, every single one of us hated this movie. All five of us, even Anna, my oldest, who loves, the, who like her old man, loves the experience of going to the movies so much that every movie she sees is the best one ever. Hated it. We all <laughs> hated this movie. My wife literally snored at one point, fell asleep. I even dozed off, which never happens. We all hated this movie. Hated it. I have no idea what it's about, what the point of it was. I mean, other than the 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 the, you know monetary point but whatever the story point was made no sense and i I just complete thought it was a missed opportunity your thoughts mike i'm i don't know if i hated it i can't say that i hated it because there was nothing offensive about it but there was there was no there was no story deeply disappointed they just throw when i think of hating a movie i think of what they did in iron man 3 where they postmodern the character, made his girlfriend the hero, and took the Mandarin, one of the great villains in all the Marvel universe, <laughs> and and emasculated him. Okay, that I, that I'm offended, so I hate it. I guess hate. It. We were all just very disappointed by this film. 
Uh, I think everybody that I've talked to is disappointed. I, Eddie Redmayne does a nice job. Um, there's some, How many words did he speak that you understood? I understood what he said. Well, Sam used to yeah. being with you, so I, it's okay. okay. I, I thought there was some interesting things going on. And Eddie Redmayne has... The special effects were wonderful. The Mumbler. Can we talk about some good movies? How many mushroom clouds? This one? Eh, three, maybe two and a half. It just it. I, I'm not a big Harry Potter guy, so this I like the. You know what? I like the little plant creature. That's the only thing I liked about the movie, and the twist at the end was kind of interesting. I like that plant creature better when his name was Groot. What's the next movie? <laughs> uh, Bad Santa, and I'm just going to tell you that I've changed the tagline for the film. I've called the film company. It is now known as Just as Foul, Not as Funny. Oh, because this is Bad Santa Two, which means there was Santa a Bad two. Santa One. Yeah, and it was. And it, it's really funny. This is Billy funny. Bob Thornton, right? Yeah. It's really funny. It is very offensive and very foul. You should not see either one of them. The Thank first you. one was good. The second one, not so much. So this public service announcement brought to you by Mike Woody's off-again, on-again conscience. Go ahead, Mike. All right. Allied. Brad Pitt. Marianne Cotillard. I don't even know how you pronounce so, uh, her name. Hey, close enough for me. Okay. She's French, by the way, Steve. So? So is Lafayette. Well, I know. I know so what is I, de Tocqueville. I know what uh, you know. She she is she's Rosal Gul's daughter. Dark yeah, Knight she's Rachel Gul's daughter, right? Yeah. I, I thank you for dumbing it down for him. <laughs> <laughs> I speak superhero. Uh, this is Brad Pitt and Marianne, um, and they play spies, and they have an affair. They get married, and then somebody pulls him aside and says, "Hey, I think your wife is still spying for the Germans." And you've got the weekend to figure it out. And if you can't tell us that she's not, you need to kill her. Kind of an interesting setup. Um, so Brad Pitt runs around um, in really dark hair, um, but beautifully dressed. It's like he stepped out of a GQ magazine trying to figure out, you know, exactly who this woman is. And has he really been sleeping with the enemy? You know, it looks good. It wanted to be good. I was kind of bored. By the time it was over, it's like, I don't care if you shoot her. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just, I, I, I know that Whoa. I'll get, I know that I'll get to go home. Somebody, somebody fire a gun so there's a loud noise and it wakes me up, right? The conscience, as you said, Steve, is officially off. <laughs> she, she's beautiful, but, you know, if she's got to go, she's got to go. And if she goes, then I can go. Um, you know, it's, it's probably a three, maybe a two and a half. They look beautiful. There's this crazy scene where they're in the desert and they have sex in a car in the middle of a sandstorm. So I was thinking maybe they're both going to die there because how did they get out of this? But they don't really address that. You were hoping for it? I, I was. It, it starts off, it's like Casablanca. It's literally set in Casablanca. And then we go into this Mr. and Mrs. Smith kind of thing. So I was going like, to say, okay, I think I've, got, I've seen this movie before and Brad Pitt was in it. I was going to say, why did that take you so long? Well, because you kept talking. I didn't oh. want to be rude and interrupt. Because <laughs> I'd done it several times already. Wow. Yeah, for several years. Uh, it's, you know, it, it looked like it would have been a great movie, but it it doesn't hit that great movie category. Sorry. How many mushroom clouds? Three. Two and a half, three. Just okay. Now. See, I think a movie with such a compelling plot line, if they don't deliver, it ought to be hammered more by you. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. I mean, if you, I mean, this this should be a compelling, interesting plot. It absolutely should be. And if you can't deliver on this, then I think you should be penalized more, right? I mean, it, it matters more when Miguel Cabrera strikes out with the last out in the playoffs than you know your your platoon left fielder. You know what I'm saying? You should be penalized for that. It's been a while since he's been in the playoffs. Tell me about it. We'll come back, <laughs> talk about what's new on demand next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Beating liberals is important, but more important, who you beat them with. This is Steve Dace. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Also acceptable, like Dean Martin, if Frank Sinatra's voice is on it, it may be played. <laughs> on a you're roll just, tonight. You're just an old soul. No, I just have taste. Oh. All right, so, which doesn't explain why you've been here for the last 14 and a half years, but let's continue nonetheless. Mike Woody here taking us to the movies. Mike, what's new on demand? There is a ton of stuff on demand. Now, the last time I was in, a couple weeks ago before Thanksgiving, you were giving me a hard time because there was nothing out on video, on demand. Literally, Mike said, if you went to this video store, for the nine of you that still do this, <laughs> and your walkers, there would be nothing on the shelves. Everything was gone. It, it was, was all gone. gone. Yeah. I nothing can else. testify to that. It's been brutal. See? There you go. All we had was Finding Dory the last time I was in. Which so what do we horrible. have now? All right. I don't like Finding Dory at all. No. We didn't terrible. like it either. No, yeah. it's, just, it's just the same movie. Agreed. Just, just made worse. Agreed. Uh, War Dogs, which based on a true story about these two guys who inexplicably this looks like a start movie, running guns. This looks like a movie my conscience tells me I should never watch. My sense of humor is strangely interested and intrigued by. I, th- I think you'd like it. Who's in it again? I- oh, um, God, I knew you were going to ask me. The, the kid from uh, the guy who The, the guy from uh, Fantastic Four. And, um, <laughs> or Whiplash. And uh, uh, Divergent. Got I don't know his name. And Jonah Hill. And Jonah Hill. And Bradley Cooper. Who looks like he okay. put all the weight back on. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little more. It's 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 a good to very good movie. It's not a great movie, but it's it's definitely worth seeing. Here's the movie I have not seen. This is the Roberto Duran movie that I'm trying to get to called Hands of Stone came out. It looks good. I don't know why it got, it got little to no uh, box office, but it is now out. Hell or High Water is the movie of the year. That's the movie. That's the modern day western with Jeff Bridges, with um, is Chris it, Pine. You liked it at the time when it was in think. theaters. You you raved about it. Oh, it's it's it's, it's one good. of those movies that it, once it gets out and people get a chance to see it at home, they're gonna say, "Well, why didn't I see this in the theater?" I think it is a long shot, but it may get an, a best picture nomination. Hmm. It's that good. Another one I did not see, but I have sitting on my desk at home, is Kubo and the Two Strings, an animated film. No. Which has gotten nothing but great reviews. Yeah. No thanks. How about Big Friendly Giant, BFG? Saw it. It's not that good. It's it's interesting. It's okay, but it, it gets actually, a lot, a lot of these movies when they disappoint, it's the ending that disappoints. The ending to this is actually pretty good. If you can endure the hour before the Queen of England shows up. If you can endure right. the hour before the Queen of England shows up, the ending's kind of cute. All right, kind of adorable, but the hour leading up to it, not so much. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big Z, not a B, F, and G. All right, don't breathe, which is the movie about the 
three kids that break into a guy's house to try to steal from him, and they really shouldn't have picked that house. And this is the most financially successful horror film of the year, is this movie. It gets really dark and twisted towards the end, but um, it's pretty intense. Mike, we'll see you next week. All right, guys. The Dace Group is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with hour number two here on a Friday night on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We'll get to some of your feedback a little bit later on this evening, but first, it's time for the Dace Group. With a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin and his McLaughlin group, this is our weekly homage, a weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to issue one, the transition continues. Donald Trump and his transition team are well ahead of schedule based on the time it took previous presidents to choose and appoint their cabinets. In the last week, however, reaction from the right to more of Trump's appointments has been mixed at best. After making what was seen by some as solid picks in Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education and Nikki Haley as Ambassador to the U.N., this week Trump made some not-so-popular picks. Trump picked Steve Mnuchin as his Secretary of the Treasury. Mnuchin has numerous ties to left-wing businessmen like George Soros and has a checkered history of working for Goldman Sachs on Wall Street. Trump also picked investor and banker Wilbur Ross as his Commerce Secretary. Ross is a lifelong Democrat who's surrounded himself with leftists for most of his career. Elaine Chao, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's wife, has been tapped for Transportation Secretary. These picks don't exactly scream drain the swamp, as has been the mantra of so many surrounding the Trump campaign. But this week, Trump did make another pick that seemed to please many on the right, with his appointment of Marine General James Mattis to be his Secretary of Defense. Mitt Romney is still considered to be amongst the leaders to fill the crucial role of Secretary of State, though other names like disgraced former General David Petraeus have somehow reportedly made their way into consideration for the role. Whatever the case, the mixed bag that is the Trump transition doesn't look to be slowing down very soon. First question, Kim, this will go to you. How much of what we've seen from Trump is really that much different? When you strip away the persona, you had a rally last night where he, he gave us the full Monty, right? But when you when you strip all that away and you look at the decisions he's making, how different is the makeup of this cabinet than we would have gotten if a, if a generic Republican, like a Jeb Bush would have won instead, I ask you? You know, some things are different and and some things are the same. Um, you know, you look at how Trump came in and said, look, if you're going to be in my administration for five years, you can't be a lobbyist. You can't also work for a foreign government. So, there, you know, that's different. I don't expect that Jeb Bush would have done something like that. Um, and yet there are some of these people in here that are, um, you know, really the crony capitalism with when you look at what's going on with Carrier. 
it's the same kind of idea. I don't think, though, that Jeb Bush would actually hire Hillary Clinton donors. I don't think, you know, that's with uh, Steve Mnuchin. I, I don't think that they would... I take that to mean I was pronouncing it wrong earlier this week? Yeah, it is Thank Mnuchin, you for correcting me. Yes. Okay. You know, I don't think that uh, Jeb Bush would would actually hire a Democrat um, to be the Commerce Secretary. So, there, well, I mean, his right? his brother hired a Democrat. What was the and what was it? Was it uh, the FAA or, or there was something where a Democrat was appointed to run something as an overture when after Bush won in two thousand? And I remember that person was was ended up becoming thrust into the limelight because. They were they were whatever they were overseeing was huge post nine eleven. So uh, maybe some token somewhere, don't you think? You know, maybe. But like, I, okay. So I'm just going to say, overall, it's it's a mixed bag. Like Aaron was saying, there's some things that you would say Bush would do, and some things you he wouldn't. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, this is a a, a gut thing right now. It, right. it doesn't feel particularly different. And and if Trump is a president who just lets these people go on autopilot. You know, I don't really expect, I, except Mattis. I mean, Mattis clearly has a personality. If that guy turns it all the way up to 11, that's going to be pops and popcorn uh, time. But if right, tr- His personality is different, but the Bushes have been hawks all of our lives, right? They would have put a hawk at Secretary of Defense. I'm not talking about being a hawk. I'm just talking about... You mean in terms of the, the being a guy more cowbell? No, yeah, okay. exactly. But that's the point of my question. When we strip the personalities away, because there's so much focus on this, because particularly in the social media world in which we live, everything's a soundbite nowadays, Mm -hmm. right, Aaron? But when we strip the soundbites away, if if it wasn't his persona, would would you be shocked? Yes. Would you be shocked that President Jeb Bush appointed somebody with a similar view and record to General Mattis as Secretary of Defense? You know, the the only thing that I would, no, um, to answer that question, the only thing that I would be surprised about a Jeb Bush appointing is a culture warrior as Secretary of State. I, I for some reason, maybe I'm, I'm wrong in that, but um, for some reason, I, I don't see him doing that with somebody like um, Jeff Sessions. You mean Attorney General? Attorney General, I'm sorry. All right, well, yes. his brother gave us John Ashcroft, originally, That's true. who was a major major culture warrior right so i i mean if that's yeah if that's um i mean if that's the only thing that's uh different or maybe not different then no there's there's i mean maybe maybe not the the hillary clinton donors or the democratic donors as kim was talking about maybe that's the only difference and that's a bad one one thing i know you want to go you want to redress on here todd i'll let you do it in a second one thing that would be different romney i think is much more because particularly of his relationship with netanyahu much more potently pro-israel than the James Baker sort of Secretary of States that we got under the Bushes. And remember, the, the, it was Baker who actually originated the, the uh, phony two-state solution that has only has just sort of made matters even worse over there. But I want to let you go Do you think he's going to get it? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. No, It'll I be don't. Bolton, probably. I don't. But even Bolton would even be a stronger advocate, probably, uh, from, a secretary of, uh, from a hawkish Secretary of State than what we've seen under the Bushes. So that would be another one. So anyways, while I don't know a lot about these folks' personalities or deeply their, their past, my gut tells me right now that left to their own devices, it would be business as usual. But if Trump's ult- is demand is, you know what, your personality is my personality. If this guy is way more hands-on than most of us think he will be, if he does actually have some sort of vision quest in mind, then all bets are off. Kim, you want to address this after they've discussed it a little bit further? <clears throat> well, you know, I, look, like I said, there are some things that are different, like the, the ban on lobbyists, the, the foreign thing. 
But when we look at how is the outcome going to be, I, I, it seems the same. You tell me you're going to drain the swamp, and then you have swamp dwellers. I, you know, I, I just, we'll see what happens, but it's a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah it seems like um, some, some of the actions so far have just been for PR with the carrier thing. That's definitely a PR move. And then, I, I mean, I like the idea of banning lobbyists, and that is a... That is, you know, the, the ban itself um, in the transition team. That's a substantive thing. But then the, the contract that they want people to sign, uh, you know, they, they promise not to work as a registered lobbyist for five years. That's never going to really hold up, you know. Uh, not that I know of. I haven't seen the, the contract, but it just strikes me as something that's more of a PR type of thing than actual you know, substance. Something that's kind of entertaining is that they are looking at Linda McMahon, who developed the World Wrestling Entertainment to be the, the uh, Small Business Administration. I mean, <laughs> he is entertaining. It is, yeah. I mean, it's like, like we talked about it. It's, it's a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get next. A box of chocolates type of thing. I, even though I didn't like some of this stuff we saw earlier this week, I, I'm still having a hard time being pessimistic as a never-Trumper. And I guess it's, again, because just where my expectations were coming into this. So, I mean, because they're so low... Anything he does that Hillary would not have done, I'm kind of like, okay. Well, even, yeah. even though, even when it's not the, because I never bought the draining the swamp crap anyway. That's why I didn't get on board. That was the, that was the inner right. conflict debate I was yeah. having with myself yeah. in the summer of 2015, which is, could I overlook all of these obvious moral questions and dilemmas because I really think he's crazy enough to pull the plug on this thing. And I came to the conclusion, no, I don't. So I'm not shocked we're not draining well, the swamp. I never thought we were going to. And, and relative to the circus that we just dealt with for a full year, if this had been the way Trump ran along with some of the Brado, but of a more, a less childish variety, he would have won this thing in a landslide. I think I mean, there's a lot of truth to that because the, the, the deciding issue all along we talked about was corrupt over crazy. People were, look, please don't be nuts so I can vote, not vote for Hillary Clinton. Please just don't be crazy for a week so I can say no to a third term of Obama. Let's get to the exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being no difference and 10 being a state of nirvana, how much better are the people Trump is surrounding himself with so far compared to what a President Hillary would have done instead? Kim. Oh, I'm going to go 5 right down the middle. Oh, that's got to be 7 or 8. Yeah, I'm going with the 10, but just based on the the, the sheer comparison. See, I was going to say the answer is at least a 7, but when, when, when Debbie Down or Todd Erzin over there is going, it's at least a 7 or an 8, <laughs> I probably then that means I've got to dial it up to at least where Aaron is at, probably, because he's the, he's the plumb line of pessimism now on the show. Erzin is. It used to be me. It is now Todd. So if Todd is Debbie Down, or if he is at 7 or 8, then it, and Aaron, you have to be correct. The answer must be a 10. Yeah. We'll come back. The Rainbow Jihad swings and misses next. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Let's get to issue two, the Rainbow Jihad swings 
and for once misses. Earlier this week, BuzzFeed tried to go on another witch hunt against a Christian couple working in the mainstream media. Kate Arthur, a BuzzFeed news reporter, wrote a story entitled Chip and Joanna Gaines Church is Firmly Against Same-Sex Marriage. Chip and Joanna Gaines host the popular HGTV show Fixer Upper. They're also devout Christians. The BuzzFeed story centered around the Gaines' church and their pastor, who firmly supports and affirms actual marriage. But the story says, quote, So, are the Gaineses against same-sex marriage, and would they ever feature a same-sex couple on the show, as have HGTV's House Hunters and Property Brothers? End quote. The obvious attempt to shame the Gaines was shut down after an onslaught of negative reaction and jeering by those in conservative media. So bad was the reaction, even the Washington Post published an op-ed later in the week written by a gay man calling the hit piece on the Gaines dangerous. Even the comment section on the BuzzFeed story, usually a cove of soft progressives and liberals, was overwhelmingly negative. So for once, it seems a rainbow jihad attack on Christianity has been thwarted. Let's get to the first question. Is what happened between BuzzFeed and conservative media just a one-off? Or is this a pattern we will continue to see in the future? Now, I, here's the thing. We've seen this one other time. And it was actually at this time three years ago. I know, because I wrote a piece for USA Today about it at the time that ended up being the second most read article or column of the year at USA Today in 2013. And this is when they went after Duck Dynasty for essentially saying it's natural for men to be attracted to women and for women to be attracted to men. You guys remember that episode? Absolutely. And and we saw the same pattern here where you essentially saw conservative media just rise up, Todd, and go Sean Connery in the untouchables. Like they went Chicago way on this. They just they just annihilated the Rainbow Jihad for daring to go to this extent. And then you saw them back off. Cracker Barrel backed off. Remember all these businesses were going to boycott mm-hmm. them, and then they all got back on board with Duck Dynasty, and those guys went on to make millions more dollars. This was the pattern we saw again this week with HGTV. So in the pattern meeting, the way that the conservative media reacted to this overreach. Is that a one-off? Or since this is the second time we've seen this when they've tried to do this with pop culture, is this maybe something we're going to see more in the future? What say you? By more than do you mean BuzzFeed and the like learning lessons and backing? No, I didn't, I, I mean, I didn't I, think so, no, but no, I wanted no, to be no, clear. No, no, the, okay, the crowd outside yes. Watts House doesn't learn any lessons. That's why say, the what sulfur have you done falls. With Steve Dace, yes. yeah, they, they, only, they, they, they don't stop until the sulfur rains down. I'm talking the lesson our side learns about how to react to this and to show it no quarter at all. Do you think this shows that we understand how to react to this, or are these one-offs? I I think it's going to be better than it has been in the past. I do think there is a part of Donald Trump that just likes a good fight. So even if this, I mean, I doubt he had ever heard of the gains before, but he'll just get in on these things because of what we've been talking about lately. He he knows how to work this broadly to his advantage. And yes, of course, uh, we've been emboldened far more than any of us thought before this election. We, we're, we're tired. Of, we were tired of what had been going on far more than any of us thought. Uh, this election was emboldening for a lot of people. So I think it's going to be better. But it's like we talked about with Trump cult. Do they have the sustainability to keep up a targeted offensive over the long haul? Because that's ultimately how you're going to get things done. If it's always just this. Okay, this hill over here and this hill over here, all these little battles have got to be 
aim towards winning a war. You can be 10 for 10 on winning these battles, but if it's all just for, you know, bragging rights in the Twitter sphere, have we have we stopped babies dying because of it? Is marriage any better because of it? That's the thing. This isn't just a game in social media. It has to advance something. Kim, what do you think? You know, I think um, that we're actually getting more emboldened, like you were talking about, um, Todd. And I think that uh, more and more people are willing to stand up against the thought crimes that um, are coming at us. Um, now, to win the wars, we're going to need more people engaged, for sure. And um, and I see a lot more conservative um, TV, a lot more conservative blogs, a lot more conservative writers that are willing to, to take the fight right to people. So you've got, you know, like Ben Shapiro coming out. Um, you've got, you know, the gains coming out and saying, hey, do everything in love. And they still continue to fight this. So I'm in, I'm encouraged by this. And really quick, here's what needs to happen. You need to, you know, there's all kinds of people like my wife who love Chip and Joanna Gaines and watch that show. But I didn't know who they were until this week. Love it. But, but she's very modest, prefer not to pick a fight. What needs to happen, those people, while they might go out and vote or spend their money elsewhere, it needs to turn that soccer mom into just a flamethrowing, okay, you've crossed the line. You've messed with my people. Things are going to change. I mean, that's how revolutions happen. Yeah. What do you think, Aaron? That's uh, well said, Todd. And uh, this is, uh, I'm looking for parallels between what happened to Duck, Duck Dynasty's uh, Phil Robertson in this time. And it's just amazing what happens um, when you refuse to cave. I mean, both Phil Robertson and um, the Gaineses this time around, they issued no apologies. They were uh, very well spoken in what they did say. And uh, that's, that's what, I mean, that's what thwarts these types of things. And it also helps when. As was mentioned a couple of times already, you have the entirety of conservative media behind you um, and, and having your back as well. But you cannot show any sign of weakness. When you know you have the high ground, show no weakness whatsoever. And I think that's what happened here. I think you have to understand, uh, and I, I mentioned this on our Facebook live chat at Conservative Review last night. I, was, I spoke at a conference in Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and the guy who spoke ahead of me uh, was a Vietnam vet. And he said, you know, when you go to war, real war, you learn the difference between someone who disagrees with you and someone who's an enemy. And then he said, a person who disagrees with you just ha- prefers different ideology. An enemy wants to end you, and that's the difference. What, you know, if you're a skeptic of, of the Christian faith, if you're a skeptic of taking the Bible literally, it's not as if Christendom hasn't offered you plenty of reasons to be skeptical that we really believe the stuff we claim to believe, Let's, right? I mean, we talk about that on this show all the time. And there's plenty of room for skepticism and, agnostic, and, and agnosticism in a free and open society. What they're trying to do over here, what they did with Duck Dynasty a couple of years ago, and what they're trying to do here with HGTV, though, this is different. This is not disagreement, even vehement. This is I'm an, you're an enemy. This is I don't want to be I don't want to have to tolerate your viewpoint on any level at all. If you believe in freedom and liberty, regardless of whether you go to church or if or where you go to church, you cannot abide this on any level. It can't be tolerated. It has to be utterly and totally destroyed. It can't even just be vehemently disagreed with. I mean, you have to have a visceral you have to react to this the way Dracula reacts to garlic. I mean, you have this has to be a visceral reaction to the point that everybody understands that this is out of bounds. You cannot do this within the mar- within the rules of engagement, right? There's just certain things you know you can't do or mom when you were a kid if you did them, you know mom and dad when thermonuclear whole 
Hulk smash the minute you did it. And this has to be culturally yeah. one of those areas. Because it's kill or be killed, yes. right? Yes. Because we can't have a free society if we're going to treat each other this way on either side of this divide, by the way. Exit question. Does this week's events show us the tolerance mob is losing any momentum? Kim? Yes. Tom. Yes. Yes. The answer is yes, but only because this won't happen unilaterally. Only because we hit them back twice as hard as they hit us. That's the lesson to learn here. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. This is the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to issue three, the tone deaf left. The Cuban communist dictator Fidel Castro died last week. A man responsible for the deaths of, according to the Cuba archive, likely 100,000 or more innocent people. And the reaction from the left was, unfortunately, all too predictable. Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said of Castro's passing, quote, Fidel Castro was a larger-than-life leader who served his people for almost a half-century. A legendary revolutionary and orator, Mr. Castro made significant improvements to the education and health care of his island nation, end quote. That same basic reaction was mimicked by leftists the world over, from Jimmy Carter to Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the United Kingdom's opposition party. Couple that type of response with how the left immediately reacted to the terror attack at Ohio State this week. Former vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine immediately blamed the attack on guns, even though the attacker used a butcher knife. Ohio's own governor, John Kasich, not one you'd always associate with the left, said, We may never know why the attacker, whose actions were praised and owned by ISIS, did what he did. And an Ohio State resident's life assistant director is facing calls for her dismissal after publishing a Facebook post directly implying that the attacker was the real victim in this episode. Two more examples this week of tone-deaf leftist thinking. Kim, based on everything we've seen from the media and the left in general since this election, is it now totally apparent they're just bent on destroying themselves? I mean, if they weren't out to essentially end their industry, if they weren't out to remove whatever shred of dignity slash integrity they had left as a medium, what would they be doing differently? Right. They wouldn't be doing anything differently. So I look at them and I think, you know, inevitably their system, it's based on lies and it will fail inevitably, whether it's evolution, whether it's communism, whether it's, um, you know, the culture of death, whether it's um, transgenderism, whether it's, um, you know, what marriage is, it's all based on a lie and eventually it will fail. And, and I see them continuing to dig their heels in and continuing down that path. Todd. Yeah, well, self- Todd, remind us. Journalism is magical. And not at all broken. That's your line. Yes, go ahead. T-shirts are coming. Self-hatred is what these people have always been about. I mean, the level of of fake faux guilt that they walk around with for all manner of perceived crimes has always been what's uh, uh, drive him. There is absolutely uh, nothing new about this. I mean, they have turned victimization uh, into an art form. They are proud of it. You know, we are. We know we're sinners. 
But we also know we were fearfully and wonderfully made. That I walk around as a, as a Christian adult these days uh, thinking, you know, downright speaking of magical, but th- thinking magically really about what a gift it is to be alive, to have the family I have, to have the children I have, to see what they do with their uh, lives. It is wonderful. I don't, there's no sense of self-loathing. There is shame sometimes, but there's no self-loathing. These people hate themselves. They don't procreate. They, they have far fewer children than they have. They always talk about them, say, we are the scourge of humanity. They compare themselves, humans are locusts. They're a virus. They're a disease. So, th- yes, this has been coming for a long time, and it has nothing to do with Donald Trump per se. Donald Trump and this election was just a catalyst for quickening it a little bit. But this, at the very core, is what progressivism is. It is self-loathing. Aaron. Again, I don't know. I'm going to follow that up, uh, Todd. But I, I would, I would echo everything you. That's s- why I called on you. <laughs> yeah, this is. So I wouldn't have to. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is. Um, this is a nutshell of of what uh, the left believes. I mean, this is where where can where else could their worldview go than this? Then always, uh, just always uh, absurdism. Really, that the, everything is pointless. That there is nothing to live for. That there is just there's nothing. But darkness now. Well, they you know brand themselves as something that uh, fights for human rights. What whatever you want to say, the left will always go down the road of self-loathing and self-destruction because that is the very nature of of who and what they are. This is where we play the the, the scene from uh, crying over the the trees. That that fits right here. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yes, Except we're almost out of time, so let's get to the exit question. Back to Cuba for a second. Kim, I'll start with you. Should President Trump further normalize relations with Cuba once he takes over? Okay. Trump got it right with the tweet with regard to the brutal dictator that Castro is. His, his um, businesses are interested in um, normalizing things with Cuba. Um, I think economically it would be better for their, their people if we could do that. So I think what will end up happening is he'll continue down the path of Obama and normalize it. Todd? Yeah, I'm, I'm more or less with that. I, I agree. I, I, I mean, be wise as serpents, but yes. Uh, I would agree with that as well. The answer is you guys are right. Whether he should or not, I believe that he will. Uh, for the same reason, only Nixon could go to China and the business reasons that Kim articulated as well. All right, when we come back, this will be the most heated debate yet. Next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here again on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to issue four. It's on now. Christmas music. It's December, and on radio stations all across the fruited plain, you'll hear Christmas music, and you'll really know it really is Christmas time. Except for here on the Steve Day Show, where apparently for 30 seconds every 10 minutes or so, Christmas is canceled and Festivus is on. What is this? Winter Wonderland. Never again. Walking in a winter wonderland. No. And apparently wonderful Christmas time is so horrible that I would play it for you as an example, but Steve said I'd be fired. And Wham's last Christmas, I was told that's akin to lighting myself on fire. Santa Baby, yeah, that's understandable. But Trans-Siberian Orchestra? What is this? It's 
Wizards in Winter by Trans-Siberian ne- never Orchestra. Again. Never again. You've never heard this song? Yeah, no. Never again. Eject. Seriously, what the hell, man? And uh, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. To you, too. I'm not alone in this sentiment. I've received an outpouring of support and stands of solidarity on Twitter. David Gunn said, Man, Steve Day Show is a real grump when it comes to Christmas music bumpers. Hashtag I stand with Aaron. Jeremy said, Despite what the boss says, Trans-Siberian Orchestra is perfectly acceptable Christmas music. Another Twitter user said, Seriously questioning Steve Day Show's Christmas slappiness. Didn't recognize Trans-Siberian Orchestra's most popular song. One person named Jason emailed me saying, While you likely informed Steve that Wizards in Winter is one of the most popular songs by one of the most popular Christmas bands in America and is very popular for anyone not looking into the best nursing homes, you should tell him that I recommend if he takes his Metamucil, he won't get so backed up like that. So by this point, being that this has happened more than once, it's painfully obvious that one of us here on the Steve Day Show has a skewed definition of what makes Christmas music Good. I resent you trying to corner me as like Mr. <laughs> Potter. First of all, I didn't trash Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I know who they are. I'm very familiar with their Christmas music. I didn't know what that song was. All right, so I want to clarify. I don't know what in the Sam Hill Wizards in Winter is. No. Okay, but that's not a Christmas song. I, I've heard plenty of Trans-Siberian Orchestra that is just fine. I've not banned them. I have banned that song. And that one... That one song, I believe, in Father Christmas by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, which is basically an atheist lullaby. That's band two. Don't ever play that. Todd. America has spoken, though, Steve. Uh, Scrooge has been recast, and it is you and Tiny Tim over here. America, it's America is, is taking This is collect- not a democracy. It's a representative republic. And I'm, I'm, the, Repu- I'm the leader here of the republic. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the proxy. So I, I answered. I took an oath. So help me God, not so help me the will of the people. So I'm going to the higher authority. And the higher authority says wizards in winter. All right, might be great at Hogwarts over Chris over winter break, but it's not a Christmas song. I'm so happy to be here right now. This is awesome. Kim, where, where, Kim, it's where, where, Kim when Linus reads the reads the God, the Christmas yes. story in Luke, where does he reference wizards in winter? Where he is that does at? Not, it's a violation for sure. I'm sorry. I'm with Steve. I didn't like it either. All right, so once and oh, for all, on. what is good criteria? This is me eating from my tub of corn right now, Steve. <laughs> what is good criteria for Christmas music? Because, I mean, listen, Rudolph's not in Luke. I like that song. I like Winter Wonderland. It's like Winter, Winter Wonderland a lot. It's not like the version you played sucked. So what makes what makes for good Christmas music, Kim? You know, it obviously it touches different people in different ways. I mean, I love Nat King Cole type stuff. Anthony Hamilton does a beautiful rendition of Little Drummer Boy that I think a lot of people might not enjoy, but it just touches everybody which, in a different way. Which ju- oh, strange analogy here, but which justice said that about pornography, I know it when I see it, oh, I can't that's, define that's it. the Kentucky right. versus Sanford case Who, back in the 70s. Potter? Yes. Potter? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you need to, instead of having a, a tenor or a list, I think you need to think of which one is the most classic. I think uh, uh, Bing Crosby, Little Drummer Boy. I mean, just the essence of that. Like, like the one he did with David Bowie, that yeah, version. Uh, uh, that's pretty uh, good, actually. Yeah, no, it, well, David, Where David yeah. Bowie does like the harmony, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's uh, or is but, it Bing that does the harmony? One of them does the harmony, but yeah, it, it okay. was it was outstanding. It, it was uh, reverent, uh, but it was also it it it, you know, it wasn't just uh, Dower's not the See, word. See, to me, but this it is very just, simple. Do I like it? Well, if no, I like it, no, that's good not. Christmas he liked music. that. No, you're just you're that's, killing that's, your own point. That's that's what <laughs> it comes to. Do I like it? If I like it, it's good Christmas music. That's I agree oh, with Kim. No, it's no, entirely so. You were talking generally. It's like if Steve Dace likes it, that's what you meant. I, well, <laughs> in general, the name of the show would be. 
<laughs> anybody? No, I've, I've said my... Bueller. Bueller. Oh, yes, anybody? No, no, no. Steve's making a metaphysical point I, right now. Uh, I've, I've said my piece. I spent two minutes um, uh, causing the man who writes my checks to resent me. Uh, so, you feel better? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You are hanging on by a very thin oh, thread. I know. Um, right. Were you going to say something well, else? It's got to have sleigh bells in it. Uh, it can't be about... Some sort of tawdry. Uh, what is it, uh, baby? It's cold outside. I feel so freaking dirty. That is the st- that my teenage daughter refers to that as the stalker song. Yeah, that is. I mean, I feel dirty every time I listen to that song or hear it on All radio. Right, exit question. I want to. Ha- I want to make sure you have plenty of time to think about this one because this is one of the toughest exit questions I've ever asked. If you had to spend eternity in hell, and Satan said you had to choose one of these three Christmas songs to torment you for all of eternity. Which of these three would you choose? Meaning it's the least... Less, lesser of three evils Yes, question. the lesser of three evils. It's the least grating. Wham's Last Christmas, Santa Baby by Madonna, or Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. And as a big Beatles fan, I feel sacrilegious even including that song, but it is dreck. Complete and total dreck. <laughs> this segment isn't fun anymore. No, T- this Kim? one hurts. Um all of eternity, you are having you are, to listen to this. Yes, you are serenaded by oh. one of these three songs in hell forever. I'm going to have to go with Paul McCartney. That's the least grating one for yeah. you. Yeah, it's all painful, but that one. Todd, this is awful. You don't want Madonna uh, singing to this you is a, this, eternity. This is, this is a fate worse than Little Nicky when Hitler gets the pineapple. I I think I'm just going to go with Santa Baby. Because it would be a woman's voice. I think the other two dudes, I would just end up feeling the need to throat punch. There'd just be I could somehow <laughs> go into a woman's voice and hide there a little bit. So because this would be the last contact you would ever have with Something the opposite sex along those lines. Okay. So this, I'm going to take this opportunity quickly to expand my knowledge and be open-minded. Why do you not like "Wonderful Christmas Time"? It's a terrible song. It means See, that, nothing. That it has total dreck. Yeah. And given this is the guy that wrote like "Hey Jude" and 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 co-wrote "Sergeant Pepper's," you get you know that he just mailed it in. Simply, you know having... he's capable of so much more. He just mailed this in. It's I would terrible. go with that. I, I would go with that. I, I disagree. The answer is I refuse to accept flawed binary choices. I'm taking the hot poker. I'm taking the hot poker over any of these three songs every day, twice on Sunday, for all of eternity. That's how bad these three songs are. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back one final time here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Let's now take a look ahead. It is time for predictions. Todd, you will begin this week. I think Mad Dog Mattis as Secretary of Defense, if he ends up moving forward as colorfully as he has lived out his past, we may see... Uh, those folks stepping forward to be part of the U.S. military skyrocket in the next two years. All right. I hope you're accurate about that. Kim, your prediction. 
Well, you hear a lot that um, Sarah Palin is being um, touted as maybe someone that will be in the Trump administration, the VA system. I don't believe that's true. I, I think actually that should go more towards uh, Mitt Romney, more of a business acumen going well, into that. Well, that's an analysis. Give me a prediction. That's my, that's my prediction. My, it'll prediction. Be, it'll be Romney Mitt will be Romney. head of VA Affairs yep, instead VA of Secretary Affairs. of State? Yep. See, I, I, I think Sarah Palin's, uh, God bless her, is a largely unstable personality. But would there be a? Can you think of someone with a name who'd be a stronger advocate for our vets than she would be? Now she may not be able to capably run that department. That I don't know. But in terms of being a strong advocate for our vets, who would be better than her? Who would be more forceful? And I actually think, based Mr. on Duck her past, in, based on her past <laughs> in Alaska and her courage of conviction before celebrity took over, she has the capacity to to I mean, she's run. A, she, let's be honest, she's a mess. Sadly, she but may, she, she hasn't she, always. She been. hasn't always been. She may not be able to govern, but the, the, at the at the hint of what we have seen happen at that department, would she not be on Fox and every media platform that would give her a, a bully pulpit, lambasting this and saying we have to do better by our vets? Now she may not be able to implement those reforms. I, I don't know. She may not be capable of actually managing it. I do agree that Romney could manage it. I agree yeah. with that. But in terms of being a vocal advocate, you know, I don't know who would be a stauncher advocate for our vets than she would be. Whether she could do the job, though, is a different question. Aaron, your prediction? I think that the uh, Trump uh, pick for Secretary of State is going to be somebody who we've heard very little about. It's going to be completely under the radar, and uh, we will be surprised, probably for the worst. Meaning that uh, there's no name person that appeases all these factions? Is that what you're thinking? Correct. So he just goes off the board yes. to get rid of the uh, all of the dissension within the ranks about Correct. this spot? Yeah. My prediction is... David Bossie of Citizens United fame will replace Rince as the head of the RNC. And if you want to drain the swamp now, to me there's been two potential appointments. And, and it's not like these are the only two that I like, but the only two that I think are potential drain the swamp appointments are Mattis at Defense and Sessions at, at Justice. All right, I think those are definite potential drain the swamp appointments. This would be a third. Lifers at the RNC. I'm coming to get you, Alice. They'd be grabbing chests, losing it if David Bossie showed up in charge. That would be a is swamp. It, is that workable according to Trump? I think so. That's why hmm. I'm predicting this. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm predicting this. I think that would be, and that'd be a huge move for grassroots conservatives, which is why all the right people would be offended. Hour three is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight at the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. It means it's a Feedback Friday as well, so we'll get to some of your feedback a little bit later on. Still time to send yours in. Steve at SteveDace.com, that's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. But before we get to your feedback, 
It's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time of the night when Aaron gets to ask us any three things about any three things. Nothing is off limits. You are welcome, Aaron, to ask us anything at all that you would like. But you have to answer the same questions that you ask of us. Yes, the Christmas is strong with this uh, segment this uh, Friday. If you were able to interview any of the people at the manger scene, and I know there's uh, not necessarily historical uh, facts or whatever with that scene that we have in our mind uh, always, but if you were to interview the wise men, the shepherds, or anybody else at the manger scene that we have in our heads, who would you interview? Or talk to, have a conversation. That's with. a really good question. Um, there's there's numerous potential answers to this, but I think I'm going to select Joseph. Uh, and and the reason being, I'd want to get a sense of the conviction it would require. For him, first of all, it's hard to raise somebody else's son. Number one, even in, in even a human context, that's difficult. But now you're talking about a supernatural one. And then you start asking yourself, I mean, all of us who are about to become dads, we, we question whether we're going to be a good dad, especially when we're about to have sons. I mean, we are instantly reminded of all of the areas as men where we fail and then fear that our sons will model those areas. Okay. Imagine that, though, when you are about to raise the most powerful being in the universe, that is what you're going to do. You're going to model that. You're going to try to be a fatherly model to the heavenly father. That's a burden to carry. And then dealing with the societal implications. I mean, um, this is an unwed pregnant woman that the law called for being uh, capitally punished for this sin and putting up with the constant scandal and whispers and those sorts of things which are difficult to even do in our day and age but can you imagine what those things were like 2,000 years ago so I, for those reasons although I could come up with why it would be any anybody else there would be a compelling interview but for those reasons that's why I would go with Joseph Kim I would go with Mary um, I'd want to know um you know, her faith walk and what that was like to to deal with, um, you know, being pregnant by the Spirit and um, carrying the, the Son of God. Um, and then also the, the daily practical. How do you deal with Joseph and the insecurities that he has going into this? I, it would be a fascinating. Especially you have to keep in mind, she's, a, she's at best a teenager. Right. Now, they didn't have teenagers in this day and age, but... Um, I mean, she is just at the opening throes of adulthood, and she is carrying beyond just this child that you're about to deliver will soon deliver you, right? That's an incredible burden for her just as a young mother to carry in an even normal circumstance. I'd say the, uh, the three wise men. 
there's the, the magi there's so much that is unknown about who they exactly are I read a, or saw a movie uh can't remember the title but it's about a biblical study of all of the um astronomical indications in the movie it came mm-hmm. out several years ago have you seen oh it's fascinating and it talks uh it talks about his theory is that they might be descendants of uh daniel uh if i'm not mistaken somehow related to him but to the wealth of knowledge that they had both theological and scientific is is no small thing these were the renaissance men of their time seemingly to to put the puzzle together the greatest cosmic puzzle of all time to to finally, you know, people say, what, what would you ask Abraham Lincoln? We have a sense of who Abraham Lincoln, if we meet him in heaven, is. There's still so, when we meet the three magi for the first time, it's it's, it's just going to be jaw-dropping. Yeah, and the name of that documentary, The Star of Bethlehem. Yes. That's, that's, that's one of the documentaries. This is the one I that's think it. that we were, both, uh, we were both discussing. I was going to go with Joseph and then the three wise men, but, uh, yeah, for, for some of the reasons that, that Todd said, it would be fascinating just because, as you said, and I was going to say the same thing, that uh, we don't really know a whole heck of a lot about them and get a picture of uh, why they put so much faith in this uh, strange uh, occurrence in this the, the, the stars. I mean, that would be fascinating to hear their human perspectives on that. Of course, we'd have kind of an eternal or a spiritual perspective on that. I think it would just be a fascinating, uh, fascinating conversation. A question to best and worst Christmas traditions. Oh, I don't. Are there bad Christmas traditions? I I, I can't think of something that it because tradition means it has stood the test of time, right? It's it's an homage, Fruit right? Cake. Yeah, I, I I mean I'm not a huge fan, but I tried it a couple times. I think it was I've ate a lot worse things, so I don't. I think it kind of gets a bad rap in a way, you know. Um, the one thing I've always kind of found puzzling is. You know, we're going to commemorate a Jewish guy. So many of us are going to commemorate a Jewish guy's birthday by eating a bunch of pork, eating a, ha- eating a bunch of ham. I've always found that. I'm not sure where that started, the Christmas ham, you know? I don't find that puzzling. I find it delicious. <laughs> I mean, well, so do I. I just, Embrace it. I'm just like, whoever the very first person to suggest ham for Christmas was, did nobody not say, um, yeah, about Shellfish. that? Yeah, no, yeah, wait, okay. I'm just surprised no one, no one, uh, there's no other meat to eat. Uh, I've always found that to be somewhat questioning, but uh, I don't know that there's anything as, as a tradition I'm offended by, because if it's a tradition, that means it's, it's earned its place. Uh, the best one uh, for me, this is where I'm going slappy. I, I, the, just every, I, I, I'm going with everything. I just love everything about it. I love, I, love the, I love everything is better this time of year. People are better to each other. Um. Families are better to each other. The the annual I've, I started this when I first got into radio. This two weeks away from everything in the basement at the end of the year over the holidays with the family. We look forward to it every single year. The food is better. I mean, everything's better this time of year. I, I, I so I don't know that there's one thing that I can pinpoint because I I just I I love the whole thing comprehensively. Oh, you cannot love the weekend at the mall. See, I don't do any of that. See, okay, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I don't do any of that. Yeah, that yeah. would be to me. I, 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 I don't you like know that. my wife, right? I mean, if we don't have Christmas shopping done by Halloween, she believes she has failed her side of the species. Oh, bless her heart. Okay, so we don't because she doesn't like doing all that stuff. Oh yeah, either. I don't yeah. either. Um, the best would be Christmas carols. My mom sings like an angel. 
Um, or, you know, watching It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, we have to do that. One of my all-time favorite movies, yes. See, mine are mirrored images of each other. The best is the the month of Advent, the, the spiritual preparatory for Christmas. So yeah, that, we include so, that even so, in our homeschool curriculum so, at the house? Sure. So, so that day has all the more meaning. Uh, my problem with it is Black Friday. I, I don't mind a weekend at the mall with the the lights up and the greenery but more of a it it has to happen organically i just and my brother has like a psychosis about this he he cannot stand everything that's not the spiritual aspect of and this is he's not some jesus juker at all but this you know go it's it's christmas time with black friday and from then on he it is a visceral reaction for him and it, it is it's it's debilitating i mean it's they're supposed to be you know that still small voice it is supposed to be a building um but it's just it's like it's christmas now at the point of a gun go be happy it's it's troubling I would say if this is a tradition, and this is a tra- tradition in a very, very loose uh, interpretation of that word, uh, the Starbucks cups uh, being anti-Christian or anti-Christmas, it seems like people have a good time harping on that every year. Uh, best Chris- uh, Christmas uh, tradition is uh, if you have them around, which I, I will I will be seeing my nephews again this Christmas, which is going to be awesome, uh, seeing little kids uh, open presents. It's, it's quite cool. Uh, last one, very quickly. Uh, one big present or lots of smaller ones? What do you prefer? When I was a kid, uh, the bigger the box, the better. Now that I'm older, we make it up in volume. Todd? I think many smaller. Oh, one large gift. I'd say many smaller. Particularly because I'm a big tech guy, and a lot of those things come in smaller packages nowadays. The Nightly Buzz is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We got to get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where each evening we take a few minutes, set them aside, go back and look at some of the stuff we missed from earlier in the show, because either we just missed it or it took me too much time to make the previous points I wanted to make. This is the Nightly Buzz, as reported to us via the headlines, making buzz at uh, your very favorite social media hangout or maybe the water cooler at your job. We've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. Uh, first story, two weeks after Mike Pence was schooled on racial and ethnic diversity by the cast of Broadway's Hamilton, others who disagree with the vice president-elect's view, views on uh, marriage are expressing themselves in a little bit different ways. Uh, residents in the Chevy Chase uh, neighborhood of Washington, D.C., where Payne, uh, Pence is currently renting a $6,000 a month home, are displaying rainbow flags on their per- porches and lawns. It's according to ABC News. Ilze uh, Heinston, uh, who's uh, a neighbor on Pence's block, told ABC7, This is one way that I can show my disagreement. I have no idea what the vice president-elect will think about it, but I hope he will change his mind. I mean, if, 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 if it's your property and that's what you want to do, then knock yourself out. 
understanding it's largely a meaningless gesture that will change absolutely nobody's mind, particularly because the colors probably clash with whatever the decor of your home happens to be. And frankly, I would expect such a fashion-conscious subculture to recognize that ahead of time, Todd. That's what I'm offended by. Uh, is there any point in your sad little lives where what people do in the bedroom does not have to be billboarded no, all because over the place? because it's the core of their identity. Well, then why don't they go to Keith Ellison's neighborhood and put up their flags around him? Because they're partisan hacks. Right. That's why. Keith Ellison is the... Uh, Muslim the magic uh, D. Yeah, that's uh, it may be in charge of the Democrat National Committee here in a, in, a, in a month or so. But yeah, I mean, uh, how many how many mosques do you think BuzzFeed called to get their views right on on the definition of marriage? Right. I mean, if if we're going to if we're going to say because you belong to a church that opposes redefining marriage. Then I then is is every Catholic who attends mass on any on even an intermittent basis are they all out? Because I mean, head of their church opposes the redefining of marriage as well. I mean, this is just an asinine standard. This whole thing is asinine, and the reason why is because idolatry makes us dumb. While professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools. And why do we become fools? Because we exchange the truth for a lie. Lies make us dumb. And, and, then, and then we double down on said lie, and we want that lie to be validated. We want you to recognize it. Because it's not just what I do uh, in my bedroom. It, it's who I am as a human being. You know, I mentioned the other day on social media, we're big Survivor fans, right? There's this, and, and you always, there's always, some seasons you don't like anybody. Most seasons, though, there's one or two people you root for. One of the guys I rooted, I, I was rooting, I've been rooting for this whole season is Zeke who's this gay guy from Oklahoma. But one of the things Survivor likes to do is they like to play stereotypes, right? So when the Christian shows up, he always brings his Bible and annoys everybody with it. The, 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 the black guy always has six-pack abs, and he's always angry black man that, you know, with, that, that offends everybody, right? The black women are always lazy. Uh, the gay guy is always flaming, flamboyant. You know what I'm trying? I mean, every terrible stereotype of all these subcultures you could imagine, they cast them. And they do it for dramatic effect to put them on an island and let them clash because that's what creates the ratings, right? What I loved about Zeke, though, is Zeke is just a guy who happens to be attracted to other guys. Dude is ruthless, competes like heck, doesn't whine, complain, isn't concerned about the fact his colors clash on the island, right? There was even a former Oklahoma football player that he grew up watching when he was a kid when he was at the University of Oklahoma, that him and his dad are big Oklahoma fans. I mean, he's just a guy who just happens to be attracted to other guys. And if it wasn't for a slightly effeminate nature or him telling you that, I, and I wanted him to win so bad because dude was a ruthless competitor. And that's the name of the game, to be a ruthless competitor, right? Okay? I point this out. What do you think I say? When I point this out on social media, well, you know he's gay, right? I, I just thought he was a guy named Zeke, man. I thought he did a great job. I, you know, I thought he was a great player and wanted to win. I, so you couldn't support him? No, no, no. That's what they're saying. Yeah, no, that's it's ridiculous. All, no meritocracy. That's right. I must validate everything. But, it, of course, it doesn't work the other way around. Right. You're welcome, to, you're welcome to hate. It wouldn't matter how good we do this show, how smart we do this show. As long as you disagree with my religious views, you are, of course, allowed to demean me accordingly. 
you are allowed to not see anything of merit involved in my life as a husband, father, friend, whatever. You're allowed to ignore all of that and demean me because you don't you don't agree with my religious views. But if I attempt to do that because I disagree with one aspect of your of your of your morality, then of course we're the worst people on planet Earth. That is the game we are playing in America today. And that is a dangerous game. It is a dangerous game when either side plays it. Because it's how you cannot maintain a free, pluralistic society. Every election cycle or every story of victimology, the whole tilt of our fabric of our people has the, attendance, has, has the potential to flip on that, meaning we could turn on one another every single time. We can't live together like this, guys. We can't. We can't live in a culture where a bunch of people think Tim Tebow's not in the NFL only because he's a Christian. And, 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 and a lot of other people think Michael Sam's not in the NFL only because he's a homosexual. You see what I'm trying to say? If that's the way we view things, Todd, we cannot live together in a free society. We just, it, it won't work long term. Well, we and aren't what, living and, together in a I know, free society. And, that, and, and you, know, you and I, our kids are roughly the same age. My oldest is a little bit older than yours, but they're roughly the same age. That's the thing about my kids' future that concerns me. I mean, my kids can live in a culture of debt. We've been living in a culture of debt for 80 years. You know where, they, where our kids can't grow and acknowledge and, win, and live the American dream? is if we are no longer going to accommodate differences with one another on any level at all. That's when the society falls apart right there. Well, and bringing up our kids is important. The first, my four daughters, when they went to preschool, I told them, no matter what happens, how well you do in school, grades, things like that, I always expect you to stand up to the bullies. And it, it, it and it's partly because of what you're talking about uh, right now. I need to prepare for the level of animus that is going to come your way in this broken culture. And we can't live together like this. We aren't living together like this. I don't. It, it, I don't see a way it's going to get better. At least within the next decade, they need to know how every day they get out of bed in the morning, they are being trolled and hazed or worse. Uh, last uh, story here real quick. Uh, Samworth Church Academy, a high school in Nottingham, uh, Nottinghamshire in uh, UK, has banned its students from raising their hands to answer questions because <laughs> it's unfair to students who don't raise their hands. See? <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's unfair to students who don't have hands. <laughs> <laughs> I I just... This, is, this, this was the perfect follow-up to what yes. we were just describing. I mean, this is, this is just a, a, a denial of reality on a fundamental level. And this is why I call progressivism the heresy of this age. It is, it's insanity is what it is. Don Quixote was grounded and lucid compared to these fools. Yeah, this isn't even tilting at windmills. This, this is, this is, this is cray cray. That's what it is. You're listening to Steve Dace. You lose 100% of the battles you refuse to fight. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to some feedback. 
that you have sent us to the stevedace.com inbox, one of three ways that you can do so, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. This is from Virginia, um, who says, I've been listening to you talk about Ted Cruz being on the Supreme Court. However, I think Ted wants to wait it out to see how a Trump presidency goes the next four years. You are right in that he may be there for eight, but that leaves 2024 for Ted when he will be 53 and could serve as POTUS until 61 and then maybe be on the Supreme Court in his 60s. Uh, Heidi Cruz, Ted's wife, told us during a recent fundraiser for Ted in Seattle that Ted was interested in serving on the court in his latter years. He's one of the few people in the country on the front lines for us, and we need him there fighting as he is doing. He cannot be so vocal on the bench sitting behind closed doors at a desk. Just my opinion and feeling. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well, Virginia. I want to I go back to your language. Um, he's one of the few people in the country on the front lines fighting, and he can't be so vocal on the bench sitting behind closed doors at a desk. Um. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put this as politely as I possibly can. I really am, okay, because I know we have so much in common, including a love for Ted Cruz. The words those nine individuals put to paper a few times every year have 10 million times infinity the power of fighting in the U.S. Senate. And it's probably an even wider gap than I just articulated. You know what? Who's, being in the Senate is Ted Cruz sitting behind the desk doing nothing. He has no power there at all. None. There is no reason for them to accept anything he offers for any legislation. None. And they could just sit there and say, because you offered it, we're not going to do it. And don't think Ditch McConnell is not capable of such. Do you think, do you think the Republican machine running the Senate wants to help Ted Cruz build a resume for a future presidential run? Think they want to, they, think they want to create the, the speech where Ted Cruz gets up and says, look at all the bills I offered that President Trump signed into law. No. They're planning to primary him, Steve. Yes, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. And Ted knows this. That's why he ran for president. If, 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 if Ted thought that there was power to be wielded in the Senate, he wouldn't have ran for president before he finished a term in the Senate. He'd, unlike Rand Paul, and, I don't, and this is not a criticism, it's the truth. Ted Cruz did not get elected to the Senate with the intention of turning right around and running for president. That is not true. Rand did. Ron Paul ran again in 2012 to set the stage for Rand Paul to run in 2016 after he won his Senate seat in 2010. That was the whole plan. Ted Cruz had no plans on running for president. I know because I was one of the first people they talked to about running after the government shutdown. And several people on his team thought it was a bad idea. They only ran because they thought, we can't do anything in the Senate, guys. We're wasting our time here. We don't want to spend 20 years just marking time in the Senate. So let's run for a job that has real power. What job has real power? Presidency does. That's why they did this. He's wasting his time now. I don't know. Help. I'm trying to understand. I am. I, I've had so many of these conversations, and I don't understand why people want Ted Cruz to just not be utilized for eight years. I don't understand this. Can someone help me?
Eight years ago, eight years ago, gay marriage was a 70% issue in America, eight years ago. Now we're lucky if it's 50-50. Eight years ago, deporting everybody who's here illegally, it was a 70% issue in America. Now we're lucky if it's 50-50. Eight years ago, a lot of trend lines looked a lot different than they do right now, correct? Wouldn't it have been nice to have a guy with Ted Cruz's acumen, belief system, and tenacity on the Supreme Court? When John Roberts was making a decision not once but twice to save Obamacare and Anthony Kennedy was inventing new ways to inflict the rainbow jihad upon us, wouldn't you have liked to hear his voice then? That's real power. I hate it. I've spent most of my career fighting it, but I can't fight the environment. The reality is those nine justices are like Commodus and Gladiator. They stand up twice a year when the court's in session, they give out the rulings, and they go thumbs up and thumbs down in the arena, and then the rest of us say, so say we all. That is real power. Submitting bills with lame duck congressmen isn't power, even though I agree with stuff that he's submitting now about getting rid of super PACs. It will go nowhere. He's going nowhere. I don't understand why you'd want to take the best player you have and put him on the bench for eight years. I don't get it. You're listening to Steve Dace. Following the truth, no matter where it leads, the Steve Dace Show. I want to go back to the email we just had because I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not mad at you guys who think this way. I'm not mad. I'm just a fiery guy. And I've had a lot of these conversations via email and even in person the last few weeks. And no one, I I don't get, you guys know, I try to know what people who don't agree with me, where they're coming from. Even if they don't change my mind. And this is what allows me to go on places like PBS and MSNBC and play nice even though I don't change my viewpoint and I still remain hard right when I'm on there. But, but I try to know why do you think what you think? And, but I don't get this one. I don't. Let's just talk straight politics for a second. Guys, do you know what the odds are that Ted Cruz could sustain enough political viability to be, still be president of the United States eight years from now? Low, guys. Low. And they're, they're just as low for, the, for Rand Paul and Marco Rubio, for that matter. Really low. Right now, the, Republican, the head of the Republican Party is setting the precedent that he can cut singular deals with corporations to get them to keep their jobs in America. And as our boss at Conservative Review, Mark Levin, likes, has been saying this week, if the president has the power to, to do that, then tell me what power he doesn't have. That's exactly right. So you mean to tell me the entire Republican Party is being remade in the image of Donald Trump? If it is successful, eight years from now, people are going to want to hear what Ted Cruz has to say about we had to trim government back. And no, they're not. No, they're not, guys. And then if Trump is a failure, you don't want him to be the Republican nominee eight years from now. <laughs> All right. You want to wait another two, wait, wait four more years after that. Look at Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee was the runner-up in 2008. He ended far more popular with Republicans than Ted Cruz is right now. Far higher likability numbers than Ted Cruz has right now. And then he got on Fox, which is the Republican Party's news network. 
had their highest rated weekend show was a contributor on with Megyn Kelly every night. And yet, despite all of that advantage, when he got out on the campaign trail and eight years had gone by, people were kind of like, eh, I've moved on. I'm just telling you the odds of him being viable enough eight years from now. We are a we've moved on society. If Trump is successful, then whomever Trump handpicks to succeed him is going to be an overwhelming favorite to be the nominee eight years from now. If Trump is unsuccessful, then eight years from now, people are going to want to look for somebody who hasn't disappointed them yet. The new hotness. That's the reality. On November the 8th, I wish this were not true. I do. I love Ted. I did everything I could. I leveraged every ounce of political capital I have. I even, I even, I even let people burn bridges with me, which I always go out of my way not to do, because I thought it was that important to make somebody like him the President of the United States if we could. So I'm not saying this like I'm enjoying the fact I pretty much wasted the last year and a half of my life. You know, but it is what it is. The odds that Ted Cruz would ever be president of the United States diminished significantly into the single digits on November the 8th. And that is the same for all the guys that ran this time. Walker, Rand Paul, Rubio, just for vastly different reasons. Kasich. So, so now we want to take one of our best players and we want to tell him, maybe the best player we have, maybe our Miguel Cabrera, who's the guy for the Angels that a lot of people think is the best player in the, in the major league. Mike right Trout? Now. Yeah. We want to take Mike Trout and we're going to tell him, the Angels aren't good enough to compete for the World Series yet, so we're going to leave you in the minors during your entire 20s. Does that make any sense? I don't get that. You know, maybe the reason the Angels aren't good enough to compete for the World Series is because you got Mike Trout in the minor leagues. Let's bring him up. Let's let him play 162 games, see what happens. Maybe he makes everybody around him a little bit better. So, so I'm offering, my, my suggestion is let's give Ted Cruz arguably the, an, a more powerful office than even the presidency. In some respects, Supreme Court justice is. And he can have it for the rest of his life. And not have to face any more media scrutiny or any more fake fake news sites and any more scandal, fake scandals or any more accurate. None of that matters anymore. He doesn't have to deal with any Trumpian scandals and birther conspiracy. doesn't have to deal with He's insulated from that forever. And he has just as much power as a president and in some respects even more. And some of you are like, I don't want I just I want him to sit there and take cloture votes in the Senate. I don't understand this, Todd. I, and and it, I'm trying to, and I just can't fathom it. And it's worse than that. You are painting him as the golden child, the one who has the skill set, the sense of cultural understanding to take on the demons. He's that indispensable. But you're gaming out his moment for eight years from now? If he's that guy, it's because the moment is now, not eight years ago. That's exactly right. Uh, that is exactly right. You're self-refuting. So the odds, so so the odds are slim that he becomes president, and and so we wait until he's in his sixties to put him on the court. What do you think? Well, where's where's the trend line? Where's the trend line twenty years from now compared to what's happened the last eight years? It doesn't. Again, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, Kim, let me put this in another context. You're a, you're a Paulista. 
If the Trump people had said to Rand Paul, we're going to give you Secretary of Treasury to really rein in the phony money, and, the, and, and, and we want you to real oversight of the Federal Reserve. I'm listening. How many Paulistas would say, well, we want him to be able to run for president in the future, so don't. Just, just stay there and take nothing votes in the Senate. Or would you want him to have that? That's real power for what you're trying to say, right? That's where you'd want him. So I'm merely suggesting arguably the best constitutional attorney in America, in America, who's, who's not going to do anything meaningful from a power-wielding standpoint for the next four to eight years, and maybe longer, and let's give him one of the most powerful positions on this continent. And I can't believe some of you want to push back against this. I don't, I don't get I want him to be president, too, and I want to be a billionaire. And I want Jesus to come back. I don't, we don't get everything we want. The sad, we have to live in the world, Todd, as it is. There is this virus that we have to continue to address, and it has affected a portion of uh, uh, Cruz's followers that just like, remember, Huckabee and Santorum were going nowhere. They were never going anywhere. And these people were fighting for them. They had no sense of actual pragmatism. This has got to stop with Ted Cruz as well. Again, I'm not mad at anybody. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't. You're listening to Steve Dace. So that the world may know, this is Steve Dace. Well, that was a productive feedback Friday. Two segments, and we responded to one email. <laughs> but I know I'm responding to more of you than just this, just Virginia, who I'm sure is a lovely gal. I just, I, I just want to see the, our best pieces on the chessboard being utilized in a way that is meaningful. I mean, I, if you, when you, the most powerful piece in the chessboard is the queen, unless you don't move her. Jane, you know, Lyndon Johnson once said, power is where power goes. Right now, Ted Cruz has no power in this. That's where, that's where, that's where power goes to die. Okay, so he'll give an impassioned speech on Trump's infrastructure bill and why it's as bad as the New Deal and total porculous. They'll turn around, they'll all vote for it. And, and that accomplished what exactly? His speech. That it, you guys know what that accomplished? you know what that did? What did that do? Do you guys know? Get truth out. For, to, to, to what end? You know. I, to what end? Hey, I get it. I get why you're upset about it. What, what, you know who gets the truth but, out? A Supreme Court justice who, when he writes his words on paper, compels the nation's attention and has the force of law. That's some truth right there. And I can see why Virginia you know, wants some truth-telling happening in the Senate. And I get why you want him on the, on the, on the Supreme Court. But to Court. what end? To do what? To do what? It encourages more and more people to know what actually is going on. It gets more people involved. So they can and, vote for a con man in the next primary? 25 million of them can do that? Or? Hey, there's value in truth, is what I'm saying. I, I, I agree there's value in truth. But to what end? What, what are we doing? The value comes with what we do with it. Just listen, if I, stand, if, if, if I tell people uh, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, is that the truth? Absolutely. But if I if I if I tell them, if I don't tell them why that matters to their life, that they may die in their sins, unforgiven, and spend eternity in a place called hell, right? If I don't put any power behind that truth, does it really have an impact? No. Well, that's great that you found something that's good for you. 
the, 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 the power of truth comes when it's committed to an action. That whole faith without works is dead thing. When it's committed to an action, now you're making me sound Catholic, but when it's committed to an action, then, then Todd's giving me the, <laughs> the fire out sign. That's what makes the truth powerful. Otherwise, it's just a blog. It's a Facebook post. That's all it is with a fancy Senate letterhead. The truth is the power of the truth is in its actions. Jesus said, for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. That is an action. How did he testify to the truth? He suffered in broad daylight for it. And then the next and then three mornings later rose again. And then hundreds of witnesses saw him again. Action. Incarnation. Yes. Didn't leave like a didn't leave a treatise behind. He did miracles, actions. We did stuff. That's the test to fit. That's the test. That's the testimony, the action. What is the action? What, to what end? I want action. That's what I want. Am I wrong? For wanting that? No. Further, uh, people can't see your head nods, Aaron, on the radio, just so you know, in the future. Have a great weekend. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 